Hey, listeners, before we begin today's episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. We've partnered with DCM Insights for a free masterclass on September 14th at 11 a.m. Mountain. This masterclass will feature someone familiar to the Sales Intelligence Weekly podcast, Mr. Matt Dixon, co-author of The Challenger Sale and his upcoming book, The Jolt Effect. He and I will present side-by-side and explore how B2B go-to-market teams can overcome customer indecision. Together, we're going to dissect why no decisions even occur, the psychology behind buyer behavior, how high performers overcome customer indecision, and why no decisions should be treated differently than losses. I'll be debuting some new proprietary research around no decisions from our 20-plus years of win-loss analysis, never before heard by the public. If you are in sales or marketing, this is a must-attend event. So go reserve your seat at www.primary-intel.com. This event is coming soon on September 14th, so don't miss it. This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. The way buyers interact with sellers isn't changing. Newsflash, it has already changed. Gartner estimates that only 5% of the buyer's journey is spent with the sales rep, leaving about 95% of that buyer's journey for nurturing and buyer exploration. Buyers want to self-educate when evaluating a new solution and and demand that self-education to be easy and make sense. In fact, a survey from DemandGen Report revealed that 77% of B2B buyers did not talk with a sales rep until after, until after they had performed independent research. Okay, so the change has happened. What do we need to do differently? What do we need to do differently to better support our buyers' efforts early on in their investigation? How do we adjust our go-to-market initiatives and uh, to, to match this changing buyer behavior? How can we provide the right information to the right buyers at the right time? Right, right, and right. How do we educate and empower our buyers throughout the entire customer journey? A lot to chew on, I know, but the good thing is I've got somebody who's way smarter than me on the call today. Uh, joining me on the show uh, is, is my friend, Mr. Peyton Walbeck from Nectar. Peyton, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here today and uh, fun to, to be able to chat. All right, Peyton, before we get into this, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about Nectar. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Um, I'm I'm the head of marketing here at Nectar, um, and I started my career back in 2017, actually working in the funeral tech industry, uh, which is kind of an, an odd industry to to be in, but definitely an industry ripe for innovation. So I, I started out there uh, doing B2B marketing, um, and then moved into retail uh, marketing in the sporting goods industry. So kind of got a little bit of a different perspective um, on marketing uh, strategies and techniques there. Um, and then from there, for the last few years, I've worked in the B2B SaaS industry, um, both in the communications and texting-based software, and uh, now here at Nectar in employee rewards and recognition and culture enablement software. So uh, here at Nectar, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on building great company culture, 
Um, and we, we do it with a product that enables companies to be able to recognize employees, to create connection uh, and give meaningful rewards uh, while also creating alignment around company values. So uh, we have kind of created a, a framework uh, that, you know, after talking with hundreds of you know, employees and, and leadership teams, we've been able to create kind of the way uh, a framework, you know, with key pillars that allows companies to be able to um, create that great culture uh, that employees won't want to leave and that they'll want to stay at long term and be able to, uh, you know, have that um, that well-being and the um, productivity and innovation that is needed to, you know, build a successful company. So that's kind of what we do here at Nectar. So uh, you said one of my favorite four-letter words, and that's alignment. Um, yeah. So I love the idea of culture and alignment uh, working together are absolutely just brilliant. And anybody engaged in or endeavoring to that end, uh, that's just phenomenal. So, yeah. all right, my friend, well, thank you for, uh, for sharing. Let's hop into this conversation. How do you feel the B2B buyer's journey has changed? You know, I, I mentioned this big change. It isn't changing. It is, it has changed. What is this change yeah. to which I'm speaking? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that a, a huge thing is the way that the world has changed in, you know, the last decade and the way that we consume information. Um, you know, I think obviously, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, most of the information that we consumed every day was in, you know, newspapers and print materials. And we would, you know, look at that once a day, maybe in the morning. And then that was all the information that we consumed for that day. But, you know, in, in 2000, in 2012, I downloaded Instagram. In 2018, I downloaded uh, LinkedIn. In 2022, now I've, I've downloaded TikTok, you know, and most of the information that we consume each day comes through these, uh, you know, forms of communication. And um, I think that, you know, this has increased the capacity for buyer for buyers in, in all areas of business to to do more research uh, on their own when they're starting to look for solutions to problems that they have at their their companies. Um, and now all the information is out there uh, and people trust their own research a lot more than they trust, you know, the the. A sales rep from a company who might have cold called them and convinced them to get onto a demo, you know, they might listen to that rep and hear what they have to say about their solution, but, you know, they don't trust that that rep is giving them, you know, uh, a, an objective view of, you know, are there other solutions like them that are better for them? So buyers want to do the research themselves um, and they more now more than ever, they can do that research on their own because of the plethora and the vast, you know, availability of information that we have with, you know, all of these forms of social media and communities and whatnot. So, so are you saying then that the, the, the way that we consume that buyers consume, educate themselves, uh, is, is largely using social media and online tools. Is that, is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, exactly. That's, you know, definitely where the world has come, um, in the last, you know, 10 years, we've seen just drastic strides forward and, uh, you know, how much time per day people spend on, on social media consuming information is both sad and I guess great for some of us at the same time, but. Yeah, yeah sad, whatever your opinion is, it is what it is. Here we yeah, are. Exactly. Yep. Right. Okay, so that's, that's what has changed. And the other part that you said that really piqued my interest is yeah. that uh, buyers uh, want to self-educate and they, they used a, another key word for me and that's trust. They trust their own research more than they trust a seller. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
when I get onto, you know, say, say, uh, for example, someone cold called me and they said something that piques my interest about a problem that I'm facing. And so they convinced me to hop onto a demo call with one of their account executives. And, you know, that account executive is going to walk me through a solution that they have to the problem that I'm facing. Um, but what I'm going to do when I hop off that call is, you know, I'm going to go straight to, you know, my online communities. I'm going to go straight to, you know, research reports and review sites. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, figure out if that's actually the best solution for me. So the companies that are going to have the biggest advantage uh, and kind of, you know, almost an unfair competitive advantage for their category is that they're going to educate buyers before they ever talk to a seller on what solution is best for them. And then when the, when that, that buyer goes and, you know, enters into that buying cycle to a point where they're ready to look for a solution, they're going to go straight to you and not even consider other competitors because you've created that trust with them um, by, you know, being in their communities, by, you know, being uh, part of the content that they consume every day and that you've educated them on, on, you know, the topic that, interest them at that time. And it's, you know, you're, you're going to be viewed as the expert in that category and people are going to want to buy from the expert. So. Okay. So trust used to be, you know, in the old way of selling, it used to be, all right, I'm going to spend time. We're going to belly up at a restaurant or a bar or the golf course, or, you know, I'm going to fly out and go see you and all of this expense, a lot of human to human kind of face-to-face yeah. kind of thing. In fact, at a previous employer that I, that I worked at the face-to-face -face hours, was a lead measure. The number of face-to-face -face hours was a lead yeah. measure or an indicator of success. If you spent X number of face-to-face -face hours with your buyer, you were, you were going to hit your goal. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm hearing you say is, and that's how trust was built back then. What you're saying is that trust is actually built in a different way. Um, and you said uh, being in their community. What, what do you mean being in the, in the community? Tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this kind of, you know, to kind of go maybe off track a little bit, but, you know, being able to understand who your buyers are and doing the proper buyer research to understand where is it that they spend time, you know, is it is it in a Facebook group, you know, is it in, you know, do they all listen to the same podcast? Are they all part of, you know, some other community of, you know, is it Rev Genius? Is it, you know, what 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 is it that were um where where they spend time and consume information from other peers and other experts in their field that when they have a problem they're going to go there and say hey who in this community has you know a tool that they use to solve this problem and then people are going to you know give them suggestions and those are going to be the, the you know the main places that they go to look for that solution they'll, they'll look at those companies first um and so being able to identify you know in in your target market and from your ideal customer where do they spend time? Where do they consume information? And then making sure that you appear in those places and that you're active there and that you are, you know, contributing and uh, positioning yourself in that area as, you know, an expert and as, you know, someone who has value to provide them. So, so um, reading a book uh, and that by Ezra Klein called Why We're Polarized, a phenomenal read, really interesting. Uh, and in the book, he talks about uh, the idea of uh, identity that we all have uh, multiple identities and in marketing we've oftentimes called it personas right but uh, identities and um, the communities when you're talking about the i take it back to the community and ask you know what what products are you guys using what works well for you all um, there is a, a sense of trust baked into the community because of the identity that's attached to it um, and 
the more people voice a positive or a negative opinion about a thing, the more we tend to accept it without going deeper because of our, um, I, uh, our identity, you know, our, our mm-hmm. protective nature to, our, you know, I, I don't remember, it's called, it's like identity protective cognition, I think is what it's called, um, uh, about, you know, protecting the, the group identity. So how, you know, how do marketers, how do we deal with this on the front end knowing that people are really, it feels like it's out of our control. You know, we don't, we don't basically control anymore. Is, is that a fair paradigm or is that wrong? You know, dispel that, that we're out of control here, or do we just need to control differently? So, I mean, I, I think that the idea, you know, of trying to control, you know, the buyer journey has really led uh, marketers in a bad direction at a lot of companies. I think that, you know, instead of having to have control over what the, the buyer journey looks like, it's more just making sure, or I guess first identifying what it is that we want buyers to know um, and what they need to know before they come and have a sales conversation with us. And then we don't have to worry as much about, you know, what stage is, is this buyer in, which, which direction do we need to lead them down? It's more just how can we make sure that we create all of the content that gives all of the, the right messages needed for buyers to be ready to come talk to sales. So, you know, I, I think that that could mean, you know, if we decided as a company, all right, for our buyers to be able to be ready to talk with sales, we want them to know what we do, why what we do is important to them, who, you know, who that they know uses our product, uh, what results those people have seen from our product, you know, and maybe how much is this product going to cost them? And so if, if we can kind of uh, make sure that all of our content is focused on, on on these pillars. You know that there are all things that we want our our buyers to know. It matters less where they are in the buyer journey, and more just that they have all of this information available to them, and they can walk themselves through that process. And yeah, we don't have control over you know which way they they go first, but we know that if they consume all of these different pieces of information, and if you know if what we're saying actually resonates with them because we've done that that proper research from our target market then we know that they're going to come to our website, they're going to request a demo from us, and they're going to be able to um, approach that conversation with our sales team, already knowing the key things that you know will ultimately allow our sales team to be able to hit their quotas because they're qualified buyers who are coming to, to, to talk with them. And they aren't having to try and educate someone on their problem who isn't ready to buy because marketing has done its job to, to be able to you know maybe give up control, but be able to give the necessary information uh, and make it available in the right distribution channels for buyers to have done that proper research beforehand. So it's kind of, you know, buyers guiding themselves towards talking to our sales team because they have um, the the needed information um, to be able to, you know, logically make that choice. So. So you had a post on, uh, on LinkedIn that talked about this very thing. I think um, the, uh, the company was maybe winter. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. T- tell me about your experience here uh, and, and, and unpack that for me a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this kind of comes to, you know, a lot of, um, you know, things that Chris Walker and uh, Dave Gearhart, Gaetano Donardi, these, uh, these kind of leaders in, in B2B SaaS talk about the, the big difference between creating demand and capturing demand. And it's, it's really important concept for marketers to understand because it really guides uh, you know, what kind of a strategy you're creating and what kind of a foundation. Um, so, you know, for this example with with Winter, you know, I, I had never heard of Winter before. I had never even heard of the kind of solution that they had. I didn't know that I even had a problem that needed to be solved. Um, but 
I started being targeted by ads uh, in my LinkedIn feed from Winter, you know, that explained to me what it is that, that this software does. And they, they used very, uh, you know, compelling copy and they, they used um, headlines in their ads, you know, that packed a punch and all of it was stuff that I could consume uh, in platform. I didn't have to click on their ad to go and read some article. All of their, their message was displayed within the ad itself. So all I had to do was, was look at it. Um, and, you know, it, it conveyed to me what, what they did. And, you know, over time, it conveyed to me, you know, why that's important for us, what we're, what we're giving up, what the consequences are of not using that kind of a solution. Um, and then, you know, it, it showed me who else is using that same product, uh, the differences uh, of, you know, them before the product and after the product. And then, you know, I still wasn't ready to look for that because it had to do with, you know, writing copy. And I wasn't at a point uh, where I was writing much copy. Um, but, you know, months later, I was, you know, revamping our, our website and our homepage, and I got to a point where I'm now writing copy. And as I'm writing that copy, you know, the questions coming to my mind are, is this resonating? Will, will, will this copy resonate with, our, with, you know, people who visit this, this website? And what came to mind was, was winter, because that's the exact message that they had been communicating to me in the platform where I spend time for, for months. And so, you know, they had created demand for their product where it hadn't existed before. I, I never would have even thought to look for that kind of a solution because I didn't know that I had a problem. So being able to create that demand um, and then, you know, having the right processes in place to capture that demand once it's been created through their website, having, you know, forms that, you know, provide the least amount of friction as possible and getting in touch with their sales team. Uh, those things combined, you know, with having the, the right demand uh, created uh, by, you know, good content that resonated with me because they had done the research. Um, and then, you know, being able to have the right processes in place to capture that demand is, is really um I think the process and the 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 overall strategy that a lot of marketers uh, in today's B two B world are kind of missing out on. So one of those ways that um, the change has has enabled uh, marketers to get very focused with their messaging, um, and one of the biggest mistakes that I see with organizations that haven't quite figured it out yet yeah. are the ones that try to push too many business propositions to too wide of a, a a group and what winter did uh, was targeted you with very specific a very specific solution to a problem that they thought a person like you might have in the future which it worked um how do we find that right how do we go about understanding what our buyers needs are so that we can support those needs with the right information and the right education you know what what are the means of of gaining that understanding yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like it's so easy for us in, in SaaS to be able to get feedback on, on product. You know, we're always innovating the product. It's always about, you know, how, how do we get feedback from customers on, you know, what features they want, you know, uh, being able to, to get feedback on, on issues with the product and how we can develop it better to better fit their, their needs. But then when it comes to, you know, understanding our marketing strategy and how it is that we can innovate it and develop it to fit customer needs, we forget, you know, that that means getting feedback from customers constantly. Um, and so being able to set up processes that, you know, allow marketers and not, not just, you know, the interns and stuff, but having marketing leadership and, and, you know, uh, C-level executives, being able to have them talk with customers, um, you know, on a, a frequent basis and be able to, you know, hear from, from their own mouths, um, 
you know, what, what it is that, that resonates with them. What is the messaging, you know, that is going to resonate with them because we understand the problems that they're currently facing. And especially in a world like now where we see that things are changing rapidly, um, you know, it's, it's really, really important that we can constantly be in touch with our, our customers to be able to, um, evolve the product and the, you know, the strategic narrative and the messaging and the positioning of our product uh, in a way that uh, kind of keeps up with that cadence of change that we see, uh, not just in the world, but in our specific markets as well. So when, when you're listening to the voice of your customer, what are, what are you listening for specifically? You mentioned some of the, the things that, you know, excite them or, or cause them to do, but, but really what, what are some of the things that really make your antenna really stand up and, and, and go. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me on calls is that I just really want to understand, you know, we talked a little bit about em empathy earlier. I, I want to really understand what it is that they're facing, you know, what, what is it in their day-to-day -day life that, you know, their responsibilities, what metrics do they report on that cause them stress, you know, um, what, what is it that really takes up that bandwidth in their mind that if we think about that from their perspective, we're going to know, you know, okay, looking at it from the way that they see things and the stresses that they have and the metrics that they have to report on that determine their bonuses or that determine whether or not they get laid off during a recession or something, you know, what is it that's important to them and how is it that our product can better support that? And, you know, is, is it something that is even related to our product or is it something totally different? You know, should we be pushing into creating a new category or is it, you know, something that we can easily add on to our existing product? And so I, I think that, if you can really get into their mind and see things how, how they see things and really know them better than anyone else in the company because you talk to them. Um, and I, I think that that's really what's going to guide you, you know, in your entire go-to-market strategy, but also in your product development and your messaging and marketing, your positioning and developing what your strategic narrative, narrative is going forward, you know, to be able to, you know, ultimately uh, develop the category that you're creating if, if that's the road that you're on, so. You know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being most important, one, you know, not at all. What, uh, what value in, in terms of importance would you give to listening to the voice of your customer? I mean, I have to say 10. <laughs> Just oh, because. That, okay. So to why a 10? Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, the voice of your customer is going to guide everything, you know, kind of like I was saying before, uh, that's when, when I first joined Nectar here, uh, and, you know, the first two weeks that I was here, my number one goal. And the only thing that I was focused on was talking to as many customers as possible, because it would have been impossible for me to start anywhere without knowing, you know, what it is that our customers are facing. Why is it that they searched for a solution like this? What are the problems that they needed solved? And, um, you know, how is it that they went about searching for that solution? Did they Google, did they go to communities? You know, er every tactic that I was going to employ and develop into a marketing strategy uh, was going to be you know, directly based off of the feedback from customers and really understanding them. So that's, that's always, you know, for me, step number one, when I go to a company is I need to understand the customers because um, if I were to start doing anything right, right now, just without knowing the customers, you know, I could be going in a, a you know, completely wrong direction. So um, I think that in, in terms of importance, it's, it has to be, you know, at least up there to a nine or a 10. So as, as we're talking, it, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, the, the buyer's journey has changed, right? Uh, and they're doing more and more education on the front yeah. end, self-education. We need to be listening even more closely to the, to the customer. And without that paradigm or that shape um, of, of, of listening, 
that influence of listening to the voice of the customer, really, we are likely to go down the wrong path to, to your point. So there, there's a couple of ways to consume um, that kind of information, like hearing the voice of the customer. The ones like post-mortem, like what we do at win-loss analysis with, with true voice and primary intelligence, there's another side. There's the front end as well. Uh, do you ever listen to buyer buy, buyer calls, like actual sales calls and, and, and why? As a marketer, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I actually had a LinkedIn post about this the other day um, where, you know, I, I typically listen to uh, between two and three sales calls every single day um, just because I want to know, you know, one, what what messaging are our sales team using and is it is it working does it sound like it's it's resonating with with buyers um you know they're kind of on the front lines of you know talking to buyers it's, it's pretty easy for me to to talk with customers but talking with buyers is a little bit more difficult um so for the sales team to have them talking with buyers and using different messaging testing you know different ways of approaching those sales calls it's it's really great for me and valuable as a marketer to be able to, to, to see, you know, in those calls, what, what messages resonate the most, you know, what are the things that the sales team is saying to those buyers where their reaction is, wow, yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for, uh, but that's the exact problem that we're having right now. That's what we're trying to solve. So I think as a marketer watching those calls and, you know, even ideally being, you know, in on those calls and being able to uh, engage directly with buyers is invaluable to, to be able to to you know, hone in on that messaging and really understand how buyers uh, are are seeing these problems before they ever become a customer. Love that. Okay, I, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and go towards this this path of you know how can how can go to market teams align right? So you we you talked about you mentioned my one of my favorite four little words at the very beginning of the show and that was alignment. Yeah. Um you know how to go to market teams align to enable buyers to purchase. I mean that that seems to be one of the most important and difficult obstacles or goals of any organization. How do we do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean I think you know, all of it starts at the very top, you know, with the executives who are crafting and determining the strategic narrative of the company. What is it that we're aiming towards? What is what is the change in, uh, you know, in business or in the world that we're proposing and that, you know, really drives the messaging and the positioning of our product? And you have to be able to, you know, have have that strategic narrative written down somewhere where the leader of, you know, each department has access to that and you frequently go over that. And if there's updates to it, everyone is on the same page and they 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 know what the narrative of the company is. Um, and then from there, you know, just being able to have open communication between departments, you have to have leaders of each department that are frequently talking with each other and that are, you know, seeing uh, what they're doing as, you know, valuable towards that narrative and what other departments are doing as also uh, valuable towards that narrative and how it is that we can work together to be able to accomplish that. Um, so, you know, for for sales, you know, it's it's really important to me uh, to be able to understand, uh, you know, I, I don't get to watch every single call that they have, but they're frequently talking with buyers all, all day. So, you know, at my last company, I created a, a Google survey and I sent it out to our entire sales team with, you know, questions like, hey, what, what do you wish buyers knew before they got into a call with you? What are the top three things, you know, that, uh, that buyers, you know, uh, typically don't know, or, you know, just being able to understand 
what the problems are that they're facing. And that helps align, you know, the sales and the marketing team. And, you know, when you look at like the revenue strategy, you know, what, what are the goals of marketing? Is it, is it revenue that we ultimately answer to, or is it demos booked, or is it just amount of leads? Is it MQLs? And, uh, you know, misaligned goals can have, uh, you know, negative Im implications as, you know, uh, maybe our leads aren't qualified leads and there's no there, there's no real standard of what is a qualified lead. And so sales stops hitting, you know, their quotas because uh, the marketing leads just aren't good enough. But according to our marketing goals, we're over, you know, and so we're doing great. So I think that you can easily create misalignment, you know, by uh, not having goals that are aligned by not having leadership, you know, that are communicating with each other and all aligned towards the same narrative that is being decided by the executive team. Uh, that's, that's kind of how, how I view it. So I love that. Um, I heard somebody once say that um, the most common kind of the most, the easiest errors to spot are the ones where somebody misses a goal, the, you know, and it's clearly broken or some like, process yeah. is broken. But the one that's most difficult and the one that can sink your battleship, the one that can actually wreck an organization are when, you know, disparate all of the different go to market organizations inside of a company have goals that they're hitting that don't work well together that are broken. Yeah. And so it's like this synergistic value where everything that's that's firing according to its its system isn't actually producing the result, the over the top level result that, that they want. So how does cultural alignment, uh, that's, that's the other piece that I really, you know, dug at the beginning of our conversation here, mm -hmm. how does cultural alignment help with overcoming maybe those disparate systems and processes that might be working, uh, you know, in a solitary or a silo, um, but maybe when they come together, they don't work so well. How does, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when I think of, you know, cultural alignment, it has to do with, you know, the company values, the company mission and the the company narrative. And the, the question, you know, just really becomes how is it that we can align everyone in all different departments and whether they're remote workers or in office workers or hybrid, how is it that we can align everyone uh, around those values of our company, around our specific mission and, and, and narrative? Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of where Nectar comes into play is, you know, one of our, our key um, you know, benefits that we evangelize is being able to have uh, a system where, you know, your values aren't just, you know, a poster on the wall that people glance at every now and then as they walk through the office, but they're actually values that people, uh, you know, recognize every day that people are, are doing and living. Um, and that company mission is something that's always at the top of people's minds. And, you know, executive teams spend you know, a good amount of time when a company is first founded, figuring out what this what this mission is and what these values should be, and you know what what is our our narrative. They're always working on that um, to be able to have that alignment across the company. We have to be able to have the processes in place that make sure that it's always top of mind. And so that's where you know a product like Nectar can be really valuable, and and you know being able to uh, ensure that that alignment does exist. Um, and when it does exist, it's it's so important because. You know, that's that's what the founders had decided was going to be, you know, the most important things and factors in pushing the company growth forward. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's something that not a lot of companies have thought about. You know, uh, they always think about how important the values are when they're first created. But then, uh, you know, they kind of just don't get mentioned again until the all hands meeting and people, you know, notice them there and then don't think about them again until the next month. So.
Uh, yeah, I think that... cultural artifacts are are not the culture, right? They're they're the the proposed, the 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 espoused or the 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 desired output. Mm-hmm. The, the artifacting that the posters on the wall, the the colors, the whatever, the mug. Hey, I got the mug or the hat or the t-shirt, yeah. you know, whatever. Those are part of it. But if we don't have the behavior that 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 goes with it, those are those become you know you know, fodder. It's, it's like you said, it's no longer the thing. So it's true alignment. I love that. So Peyton, this has been a wonderful conversation. If you were to leave, you know, our, our listeners, one piece of advice on what they could do, you know, any, anything, any advice on how they could enable and educate their buyers earlier in the sales cycle, you know, what, what would that one piece of advice be? Yeah, I think it would be just to kind of focus less on, on how B2B marketing um, and selling has been done historically and focus in more on on how your specific buyers want that process to go do the research talk with buyers talk with customers um you know ask them if if you know looking for a product like ours how how do you want that process to go what things do you want to know before you talk to the sales team uh, and then experiment, you know, look, look for positive signals as, as you go developing your strategy around how your buyers have told you they want that process to be. And then when you see those positive signals, double down and, uh, you know, make that into a process that you can scale. Um, I think that B2B uh, uh, buying and B2B marketing specifically is, is ready for some innovation. And I think that those who, who know their customers the best are going to be able to come out on top and be the ultimate winners. So. Um, yeah, I think that more than anything, you know, it's talk to your buyers, talk to your customers, figure out what that process, what that ideal process looks like and start building it. Love it. Peyton, man, thanks so much for being on the show today and for joining us and chewing on all of this. It was a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's really been great having you on the show. Hey, thanks. It was great to be here and glad to, to be able to meet you and chat for a while. And listeners, for more from our friends at Nectar, And from us here at Primary Intelligence, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.